I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this week's Your Own Personal Beatles with me, Robin Allender. And I'm Jack Pelling. Hello, and Hello. are you excited about today's guest? I am, yeah. It's a really good one, this one. Mm. Uh, recorded a few weeks ago with the brilliant comedian Nish Kumar, um, who is a massive Beatles fan, massive sort of 60s music fan in general. And uh, yeah, we've been trying to get him on for a while and it sort of delivered in all the ways we hoped it would. He was brilliant. Yeah, he was so good, so articulate and real passion shone through and it, yeah it was just great to i think i feel like there were some really really interesting kind of um avenues we went down well, obviously there was a lot of white album chat as per but um yeah. <laughs> we did talk about the kind of the indian connection with the beatles which was uh, really interesting and mm-hmm. i really i feel guilty for slagging off the incredible string band i'm so sorry if you're listening <laughs> um, but it's uh, quite a specific criticism yeah but um, um it was just a it was a very very interesting chat can i do a few correction corners absolutely yeah please do <laughs> let's get stuck in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One correction corner is the uh, point where I say that George Harrison's What Is Life is sounds like it's about to go into One Fine Day. I didn't mean One Fine Day. I meant to uh, keep on running by, by uh, Jackie Edwards, as covered by the Spencer Davis group. In fact, I've got a little clip to show you how well these two sync together, if you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> what I We had a really good, interesting chat about Hendrix as well. Hendrix got a lot Mm -hmm. of coverage. Uh, We don't really talk about Jimi Hendrix that much on this podcast, considering when I was young, he was probably as important to me as the Beatles. I think Hendrix is someone where... It's hard to get a grip of how incredible it sounded at the time because of the imitators that followed him in some ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love Hendrix, and I don't think anyone else combined the charisma and uh, you know st- stage presence and musical skill of mm. uh, as anyone since Hendrix. But you're right, for some reason, I'm the same. I think I, th- I have kind of haven't revisited it much since I was a teenager, really, and learning guitar and things. Yeah. I tend to listen a lot more to the sort of very late stuff and Band of Gypsies and the at when he was sort of moving off into a kind of funky Miles Davisy direction. Yeah, but I wanted to do a correction corner actually about Hendrix. So I was talking about oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what I was talking about him doing. I say he does Sunshine of Your Love and and then he does a bit of Day Tripper. I got that completely wrong. On the Lulu show, he plays Hey Joe, and in yeah. one of the little breaks, he does a little bit of I Feel Fine, and it's so yeah, effortless. Yeah. 
It's brilliant. And I remember trying to learn it, trying to learn how to play Hey Jude and then <laughs> do a little bit of I Feel Fine. And it took me like weeks. And then it's like, you know, he just did it off the cuff. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't heard that BBC session with Jimi Hendrix, um, it's got a couple of sort of Beatles covers in there and then a few little, you know, dalliances into riffs that he's obviously got going around in his head yeah, but that uh, you know it's one of the great live records yeah of the and it also what i used to find so amazing was when he tunes his guitar halfway through <laughs> do you remember yeah. that? so cool <laughs> but speaking of yeah. hendrix um and which links to woodstock uh did you you've seen summer of soul right i have yeah mm. yeah i was one of those mugs that didn't realize that it was uh, coming out for free on telly this week <laughs> yeah so i went to see it about three days before it came out on uh, disney plus but oh, I see. yeah it's absolutely it's incredible i've been waiting for it for a long time it's extraordinary um, yeah yeah and yeah the stuff in particular with um, if you don't know what it is it, it's uh quests loves um sort of made a documentary about the resurface footage from the harlem cultural festival in 1969 mm. which happened at the same time as woodstock uh but 100 miles away but no one really it was sort of one of those things that was kind of whitewashed from memory and all mm. the recordings of it uh just sat in a basement yeah and the lineup is uh you know absolutely obscene yeah it's sort of Sly Stone, Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, mm. um, anyone who's anyone you can think of. And yeah. uh, some of the stuff in it is just mind The performances are extraordinary, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, Mavis Staples as well, just absolutely brilliant. And I think as well, because I, I watched it back to back with the documentary about Woodstock 99, which was the, oh, right, the yeah. new metal. The one that went on fire. Yeah, the one which went on fire. And obviously made for a very interesting comparison. But I suppose what it, what both of them made me think of is the way that Woodstock... Is the, is the way that cultural events um, have such an impact on the course of history. But how like the Woodstock that happened in 69 was not an ideal event by any stretch no, of the imagination. No. It was a pretty horror show, really. Uh, in terms of like the conditions that people had to go yeah, through, yeah, even from the sort of you know much venerated footage that's in the documentary, you mm. sometimes you look at the crowd and you're like, that looks awful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's kind of interesting that you know obviously Summer of Soul was totally neglected. I mean that the Harlem Cultural Festival was totally mm. neglected, and Woodstock has taken over. And I think Woodstock '99, as well as showing you this terrible insight into kind of it's basically like watching the internet form. Mm. Like the internet as we know now, form is like yeah. in its kind of, uh, you know, um, primordial soup kind of thing of, of, of kind of social media and Twitter and just horrible men. And um, <laughs> But it's weird that, that, to think that, you know, 69 Woodstock wasn't that great either. So it, it's kind of, it's interesting how we're sort of subject to these historical narratives that dominate, you know. Mm. Um, well, I think in general, and, and especially with the Beatles, there is a sort of tendency to kind of whitewash the musical world of like of the, of the 60s especially mm, mm. um and you do think of that you know Mavis Staples or someone's maybe not someone who springs to mind or or just how big Stevie Wonder was in 1969 mm, mm. when he's only like 19 or something you know huge 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 stars in the states but because they don't sort of interweave with the kind of uh, beatly you know, post-American evasion narrative. Sometimes mm. that sort of gets overlooked a bit. Yeah, and it was such a kind of complex world of religious music, you know, soul, uh, that still, you know, B.B. King plays there, so st the blues still having an influence 
and then kind of going off into funk as well. So it's such a kind of, you know, incredible point in history of all those styles coming together and jazz and Cuban music as well. A mm. really, really extraordinary time. Um, absolutely amazing. It's out on Disney Plus right now. Mm. Um, so, you know, not strictly Beatles, but yeah. it's uh, it's superb. So check it out ahead of uh, McCartney 321 or 123 or whatever it's called, <laughs> which is also coming out in a couple of weeks on Disney Plus. So we'll just quickly crack on um, with a bit of correspondence. Um, we've got our, our Patreon up and running, and thank you so much to everyone who's joined over the last week. Uh, we got one really nice email from Chris Dimitri, who's one of our new Patreon people. Um, and he said, I was going to contact you to say how much I've been enjoying the second series, especially the extended bonus episodes via Patreon. Thanks very much, Chris, for really doing our job for us there, <laughs> getting the plugs in. Um, so you can go to patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles if you want to hear this amazing content. Not my words, Robin, the words of Chris <laughs> Dimitri. Um, he's, but he says, you talking about old Beatles CD releases of the 80s and 90s brought back a long forgotten memory. Whilst listening, I was thinking to myself, I had the White Album on CD. How, I could, have, how could I have afforded it? Uh, and then remember that my mum bought it for me on <laughs> Christmas. Um, you mentioned a couple of times that you're reading Mark Lewison's Tune In. I can heartily recommend the audiobook. Yes, all 43 hours and 40 minutes of it. Uh, I don't listen to all that many audiobooks usually because I find the reader annoying. But Clive Mantle does a really good job on Tune In. Um, well, both Robin and I have been listening to mm. the uh, audiobook a bit. I have been sort of flipping back and forth between the book and the audiobook to get me through more sort of uh you know viscous pa passages shall we say um yeah i love i'm loving the audiobook it's re it is really great and um i think we've sort of touched on it before but his insistence on doing a uh, sort of impression of every single character in the beatles story no matter where they come from um is is quite amazing it's worth especially when he gets to little richard turning up towards the end <laughs> yeah. but like, even if it's just one word he, he'll do the impression yeah yeah but, and it, is, but it, it is really great it's yeah. great it really really it's very pacey as well for such a kind of long session I'm really <laughs> missing it because I, I haven't listened to any podcasts for such a long time because I've been listening to that for yeah. the last 43 hours. Um, <laughs> but he also says, um, like both of you, I'm also very fond of Revolution in the Head and the audiobook of that is very worth listening to. It uses various celeb Beatles fans as readers, including one guest from your show. Uh, do you know who that might be? Jeff Lloyd. It is, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Good guess. Thanks. What song does um, he do, or does he do kind of? I don't, um, I don't know. I think I don't know if it's like one celeb oh, okay. song, yeah, although yeah. that would be quite a heavy be roster. Quite, there'd be so many celebs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but apparently, according to Audible, it's David Morrissey, Robin Hitchcock, Danny Baker, oh, yeah, Peter knew, Curran, Matt knew, Berry. Um, Robin um, Hitchcock was on it actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, such a huge Beatles fan. It'd be great to have him on, wouldn't it? Yeah. He says, anyway, thanks very much and keep up the good work. Like the best podcasts and radio people you come across in such a way that I now think of you as friends. Hope that doesn't sound too weird. Not at all, Chris. Oh, that's, that's exactly so how I feel about uh, all my favourite radio shows and podcasts and stuff. So thank you very much and yeah. thank you for joining the Patreon. That's a really nice email and yeah, hope you, you continue to enjoy it. Thank you very much. And I've had a really nice message here from James Taylor. Not that one. Um, <laughs> Hello, mate. Hope you're well. Just a quick message to say how much I'm enjoying Series 2 of Your Own Personal Beatles. It's encouraged me to go back and go deep into some of the albums I'd previously not fully immersed myself in. 
We did. I did Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Abbey Road back to back yesterday, and it's prompted a to and fro WhatsApp conversation with my dad, born in '55, in which we just drop random deep cuts to each other and let the songs speak for themselves. Hope you're ma- hope you're good. Keep up the good work, which is a really nice message oh, from James. Nice. <laughs> That's great. I like Super. the idea that it's kind of reigniting that kind of you know cross generational appeal of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Mm. It's nice, the idea of just only communicating with a family member by deep-cut Beatles songs. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> makes life easier. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And if you want to send us your personal Beatles, you can email me at jack at homespunsounds.com or go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact. Uh, you can follow us on all the usual social media things at personal Beatles. And uh, if you want to rate the show on Apple Podcasts, uh, giving us a nice five-star rating on that is really helpful. Uh, we've got a few nice ones this week. So, it, yeah, it really does help us sort of hover around the um, featured sections and helps like other people find the podcast. So massively appreciated if you do that, if that's how you listen. But uh, we won't bollock on any longer. Um, and we'll leave you with our brilliant conversation with Mr. Nish Kumar. God, it does sound go. bad, doesn't it? Guys, like doing a Bob Lemon <laughs> podcast. God, imagine if you uh, if we ca- if this Delta variant is so contagious that you can get it through the internet. That'd be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also, be like, um, yeah. surely uh, COVID deniers could just hear that cough and realise that oh, it is a re- that is real. That's definitely a real cough. Yeah, I mean, they're welcome to come around and hear it. Yeah, yeah it's so they're... weird. It's like yeah. I also don't know how it's possible that you don't know somebody that has had it. Like, it's, yeah. it's statistically not possible. Yeah, yeah. Right, that you don't know somebody that... And and also, unfortunately, and this is the really grim thing, it's, like, statistically impossible for you to not know somebody that had... You know, like, that has, died of it. You know, yes, like, you, yeah. even if you don't... Like, I don't know... Like, we've been very lucky in terms of... No one's died of it in my family, but, like... Like, several of my friends have lost family members. Yeah, yeah. Like, a family friend of ours who's one of the doctors who died of it. So I just don't... What mm. I just can't believe that there are people... I, I'm just like, what do you think these people died of? Like, what <laughs> yeah. do you... Like, it's mad to me. Well, there was um, that guy early on last year. There was a video that went viral. He sort of does a Rubik's Cube to show how smart he is at the start. Do you remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, he was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was sort of saying it was like... Oh, they're just, you could fall over and die, and then the doctors would say, Oh, that was COVID. Yeah, I think there's a that's lot of the, that. I think that's where the conspiracy line is that it's like it's used as a catch all for anything. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Because, like, most people that most people that die of AIDS don't like it, isn't like the AIDS no. specifically that kills them, but it's like the uh, you know, it's the fact that your body has no immune system. So, most yeah. people like die of pneumonia and stuff, but like. Yeah. It's absolutely. We don't. No one is like quibbling over those statistics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's so yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's so weird. Well, anyway, Jack, you stand a one-man repost to <laughs> the complete collapse of base-level intelligence. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to be the poster boy for the Delta variant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, welcome to the show, brilliant comedian, Mr. Nish Kumar. How are you doing, Nish? Good, lovely to see you both. It's lovely to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. How are you? I'm well. As we were just talking about, uh, just as a little warning, I have got uh, COVID-19 at the moment, wow. which uh, means I'm quite coffee. So if I sort of go silent for a while, <laughs> it probably means that I'm uh, sort of having some sort of coughing fit. Well, and you two can just crack on. Sure. But, um, you know, 
don't like to bandy the word hero around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'll, I'll do what I can. So, uh, yeah, this, um, we recently heard you on the Jeff Lloyd Radio 2 programme talking about uh, the anthology. It's kind of the 25th yeah. anniversary of the anthology. So was the was, in terms of the Beatles, was the anthology like a big uh, way into the Beatles for you? How old were you when that when that when that came out? Uh, this no, I, I'm not doing any of this stuff in a contemporary sense. So like when I talk <laughs> about a lot of this stuff, like I'm you know. So the anthology came out when I was uh, 11 years old, right. and so I didn't have any experience of it when it came out. I, I what I okay. do remember coming out is the anthology book. I don't know if you guys uh, yeah. if you got mm, that yeah. the, the enormous thing. The like a zero the big size silver. Book. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't got it. Lost it after it. But yeah. <laughs> my my friend Ollie bought a copy and I I borrowed it off him because he was just like, don't buy it. I've got it. I, you know, <laughs> just I'll read it. And so, like three of us read it off uh, by borrowing it off him. I mean, it's like it's like reading like some like. It's like National Treasure or some shit where you find like some old, like it's the like huge pages that you have to turn. Yeah. You feel like Moses, like this enormous, <laughs> like it's almost like you have to have apparatus to like swish the page over. Yeah. Um, but it, um, but I really remember the anthology book coming out. I was mm. very, I was into the Beatles enough that I read that cover to cover. And it wow. is quite, it is an incredible book because it's sort of the closest we will ever get to a Beatles autobiography, like an autobiography mm. of the band. Mm. Um, it's it's also one of the first things of something that's now very commonplace, which I really love, um, which is sort of oral histories, where the, it, yeah. the story is kind of assembled through either interviews from the period that's being written about or interviews written in the present day with people reflecting on it. I actually just read a big one about Terminator 2. Fantastic. Oh, no. <laughs> really yeah. good, really good. Yeah. Um, and I read a whole book about the American office that's basically in that sort of form. Oh, yeah. There was a very mm. good one about ATP, uh, All Tomorrow's Past. Yeah, I, yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's very funny. It's, but uh, the anthology was like one of the first times I came across that format because, you know, mm. it, would, it, it would literally say Paul and then have a bit of a, an interview. And they it, the interesting thing with, um, with Paul, George and Ringo is that there's a combination of archival interview and then the actual interviews that were conducted in mm. the late 90s early 2000s for the purposes of the tv show and the book mm. and um and then john's contributions are all taken from interviews across the period that he was alive yeah, and yeah. Mm. between all of those things they put together this like this really amazing book that kind of really goes deep into all of the albums that you know, there's just pieces of information that I, I have in my head that I don't need. <laughs> yeah. It's of no use to anyone that I yeah. know that George Harrison played bass on Drive My Car and he modeled the bass line on the Otis Redding recording of Respect. Why nice. do I need to know that? Yeah, yeah, uh, but I don't, <laughs> I do. Yeah, that, I, I like the fact, um, George played bass on She Said, She Said as well. Yeah, and um, that's because Paul McCartney stormed out because he didn't. <laughs> He didn't like the arrangement. It's so weird. It's like, uh, but yeah, he was a good, good bass player. Yeah, mm, very good. <laughs> I've never got that scared. I'm going to uh, try and hunt out the book because yeah. uh, I assumed it was just going to be like transcripts of everything that was in the documentary. Mm. There's a good um, uh, John Mitchinson who does the runs Unbound, uh, the publishing 
company and uh, um, does the book backlisted podcast. He did a good interview with the books, Beatles books podcast about anthology because he was involved in putting that together. So that's that's worth a listen. But um, how do you think George comes across kind of in, in anthology and in those interviews? Because do you think he's up for it or is, is, is he kind of John Cleasing the Monty Python <laughs> kind of he thing? He kind of looks... I can't tell whether he's like reluctant to be involved or that's just the way that he spoke. And he just right, had yeah. such a sort of deadpan... He just had such a sort of deadpan expression. It's yeah, re- it yeah. really mm. is genuinely hard to tell. Like, Paul and Ringo are quite animated people. And so yeah. I think if they weren't into it, it would be very, very clear. But with mm. Harrison, he doesn't seem to be into it. But also that is kind of... Even when he's talking about things that he's into... Yeah, he also seems to have that sort of slightly like I think he was just kind of a deadpan guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree actually. Yeah, yeah. It's I think you read so much into him his kind of performance in that because he looked like he's staring daggers at Paul every time yeah. Paul was speaking, <laughs> yeah. and that he just really can't wait to get the hell out of there. But yeah. I think a lot of that is just projecting it. On, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, there's so many subplots and so much interest in the relationship between those four yeah um that i mean i guess like if you've gone deep enough you will find yourself constantly trying to work out what's really going on at every mm. point mm. Yeah. yeah i think that is especially in those scenes where they're playing together in paul's studio at yeah the end right they're trying to just sort of there's <laughs> obviously someone being like play like have fun like yeah, be the beatles yeah. isn't it but like, oh, George is not. But then not this, is what I this is what I can't work out then, because that is, is also. Ve- that, I mean, obviously, that is very much the vibe of Let It Be. And mm. yet, Peter Jackson seems to have found so much footage of them having fun on Let It Be that that yeah. documentary has now gone from a feature length documentary to like a six hour thing. Yeah, right. That is suppo- <laughs> and it's supposed to be a complete inversion of what we all thought was going on when they yeah. were making that album. Well, I've always yeah. thought that about the other kind of famous tiffs, like recording the White Album and stuff, where they all apparently fell out. But I just, I don't think you can make an album like the White Album or, or come back and do Abbey Road after Let It Be if you yeah. didn't get on with each other on some level. Like, I don't, I mean, I read something put on into Paul McCartney said, you know, uh, obviously Maxwell's Silver Hammer was the really difficult one where there were, there were lots of arguments about it because it took them so long to get right. But he was like, it wasn't that bad. You know, it wasn't yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, have you ever been in a band kind of thing? Well, and also, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, they're all arguing. Harrison yeah. brings in Clapton. Then suddenly yeah. they all just behave themselves because there's a stranger there. And McCartney yeah. composes the piano intro for yeah. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. You're like, I think, you know, also they were just, they were, they were, they were boys, like in retrospect. Yeah. You know, they, mm. I don't think... Were any of them? Th- they were all just turning thirty when the band ended. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's it, yeah. It, George is twenty-seven. Right? That's right. They, you know, God. they're like yeah. they're, 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 they're children. You know, they, yeah, they absolutely yeah. are children. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like it's understandable. A lot of the stuff in Let It Be that is that you remember as being the really kind of explosive stuff is the Teddington studio. Yeah. And that, that doesn't look fun. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that looks like a kind of shit way to spend a week of like pretending to be yeah. writing with loads of film cameras. But that's probably the stuff in Savile Row when they're actually being creative and stuff. Mm, yeah, right. You can imagine yeah. that's more of a sort of fun process. But yeah, as you say, it's it's 50 years of like 
exclusive, like yeah, forensic, just every single piece combing of over every single like, yeah, yeah. nasty look, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Well, so after the anthology book then, so did that make, did he kind of, did he know the records before that or did he get the anthology uh, no, book? No, no, and... I, I knew the records before anthology. Okay, I, don't, cool. I don't think like, I don't think it's an introduction to the Beatles, that book, no. as much as I yeah. love it. I think that that's a sort of, that's not a primer. That's no. something you have to <laughs> be very invested, even to bother just literally physically picking it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you have the Beatles albums in the house then growing up? Uh, there was the Red and the Blue album were definitely in the house when I was growing up. And definitely mm. the Beatles existed as kind of part of the sort of fabric of culture. You know, there's songs mm. that the Beatles, you know, things like Hey Jude and stuff like they're just in your life it's like school hymns or something like it really mm, is just mm. like something that was a part of your the fabric of your being but when i was in my sort of mid teens i kind of had a um i'd started listening to the beatles a bit but then i had this kind of like sort of damascene moment of clarity about where i heard electric ladyland the Jimi mm. hendrix album and i was like oh my god i'm uh, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Nice. And that, the Hendrix thing is what led me through the All on the Watchtown cover to like obsessively become a Dylan fan. And mm. in that period, I then dug in, started digging into the Beatles. And because I had such a kind of superficial understanding of what the band is, if you kind of, and also I think, you know, this, did you see Blinded by the Light, the Safraz Mansur thing? Oh, I haven't seen it. No. A, it's a really nice movie, and it's about him growing up in the eighties. And he's, you know, he's from a South Asian Muslim family, and he, mm. it gets very into Bruce Springsteen in the nineteen eighties, which obviously people right. can't yeah. really understand. There mm. is something about. There's a moment in that film where someone's one of the characters says to the protagonist, who's based on, uh, based on Safraz Mansur, uh, that's our that's music our dads listen to and him mm. and his friend is a Sikh kid both just look at the guy and he just says not our dads and you're like <laughs> there is something like my parents like lo- like like the Beatles and were really yeah. but were not obsessive fans of them and mm. mainly the music in my house mainly when I was growing up is like 1960s and 70s Bollywood music so if I'm right. like nostalgic mm. for any music from my childhood it's actually mm. those songs yeah um, right but because of that, you kind of come to Hendrix, Dylan, the Beatles. I came to them with no baggage. No one forced mm, me. Mm. There was nobody saying, you must listen to this. You must listen to that. Mm. It was something that I came to uh, without any real context or baggage. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. for me, I sort of, I have the relationship to them that I think people had at the time with them. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like I listened to Electro Ladyland and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. So when I start yeah. listening to the Beatles, I'm a sort of, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm as close to a blank canvas as it's possible to be. If you grew up in England yeah. in the nineties, there is definitely that thing of like, you know, being a, a pushy dad saying, I'll oh, listen to this Black Flag album. And yeah, sure, yeah. Your, your kid will just end up getting into the Carpenters or yeah. something. <laughs> you know, there is that reaction. So you're right, yeah, if you don't have that pushed on you and you don't have that kind of awareness of the baggage. So, yeah, I just, kind of so, so for me, I just went yeah. through it. Like I, hmm. I got, um, 
can't remember which one the first album was. I have loads of these tapes that I made because like all my mm. friends, obviously their their dads all had CDs and stuff. So I yeah. would tape all of these things. And I the f- I, the first album I really really got into was Revolver. I kind of started mm. from it, the like Rubber Soul era and then yeah. kind of hopped around and went back and watched the Hard Day's Night film and bought the Hard Day's Night album. Mm. And then, you know, I didn't I didn't go, okay, I'm going to start with Please Please Me and work through them all chronologically. Yeah. Mm. I, I got... Um, I bought Sgt. Pepper's um, and I had tapes that I'd made of the... that I'd recorded off my friend's CDs of the White yeah. Album, Revolver, Abbey Road. Um, and then... I can't remember where... I, I I now own all of these things, but I mm. definitely at some point got someone gave me a tape of Rubber Soul. So I kind I was sort of hopping around all over the yeah. Beatles timeline. Um, Revolver was the first one where I was like, I this is this is unbelievable. Like that yeah. was the first one mm. that like excited me in as a whole piece. Mm. Um, mm. But I also like there was a period of about six months when I was a teenager where I would just listen to the White Album every day before school. Like, I would listen to... I, I can't remember how it breaks down side by side, but definitely the run of um, Blackbird, I'm So Tired, Martha, My Dear, and Happiness is a Warm Gun. I can't remember the order yeah. of those. But it, I think it comes straight after While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah, and, definitely. Mm. I had a, two, a tape of the first disc and the second disc on two separate albums. I kind of thought of them as almost two different albums. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. But and are you playing? Because you you're a guitar. You play a bit of guitar as well. Are you learning all those songs at the same yes, time as you're yes. discovering? Like like a lot of people, like a lot of people, I can do. At set sixteen or seventeen, I did a generally quite terrible version of Blackbird. I think that's a pretty <laughs> that's Stand, that's a fairly yeah. useful, that song has been very poorly treated by terrible <laughs> by terrible guitar players and this is not me being accusatory this is holding my hands up i am yeah. a spokesperson for a generation of people that has mangled blackbird well that, that's an interesting mm. thing because i did this video a youtube video about just playing because I, I was teaching guitar last year and the video with the, the most hits of how to play blackbird on youtube it tells you how to play it completely wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely wrong. Because it's saying to do all these chords going up and down. Yeah. But, they, but Blackbird's great because it's got a chromatic bass line going yeah. fret by yeah, fret. Yeah, that's the crux. Yeah. The that's the whole song. point. Yeah. And this guy, he's got a stupid hat. I can't remember his name. But he's telling you to play it. Like you go up to this and then you go down. Here. And it's like, that's No, but right. you're supposed to literally just go up one by... Th- yeah. I think that's why it's a good yeah. beginner's guitar But song, Robin definitely. plays it. Robin made me realise I've been playing it wrong for 20 years as well. Well, no, I, I'm like, so I've watched videos of Paul McCartney playing it. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays it the way it's kind of annotated. Right. But I think I've just, in them... But don't you detune the top string yeah, to in, D? Well, Ian MacDonald makes this point that in, the, in India, they were, Donovan was telling them about open tunings. Right, yeah, and yeah. Things. And Dear Prudence is in drop D and stuff. Yeah. And um, mm. I thought there's a way of playing Blackbird with the top East. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. very technical. I love yeah. it. <laughs> there's a way of playing Blackbird with the top, uh, the high E string tuned down to a D that makes right, it okay. slightly easier. Because right, you, right. you, you don't have to twist your fingers yeah, around like this. There's one big, which yeah. is, you kind of, right, you can keep okay. your, basically the same chord shape going up. But um, I'd watched Paul McCartney play it, and he does play it 
in all normal tuning right okay. with his fingers twisting around like this mm. but you know i, I don't know but uh, interestingly but that, was, that sort of four song run was like mm, something that yeah. i went back and over and over again yeah like martha yeah, my dear yeah. uh Blackbird, and then I absolutely loved I'm So Tired. It's it, yes. it's still mm. one of my favourite Beatles songs. Yeah, it's great. And um, Happiness is a Warm Gun, which still mm. sounds kind of mad and kind of weird, and it, uh, it this there's bits of the Beatles that still feel very subversive and yeah. maybe a little mm. underplayed as well. Uh, totally. I think that Happiness is a Warm Gun is the song I played to people who maybe don't know much Beatles, and they say, oh, is this the Beatles? Because like, yeah, yeah, yeah. when the guitar starts, yeah. it sounds like the Smiths or something. Yeah, know, that's right, yeah. Mm, there's lots it's of, like sort of talking heads uh, Yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. lots of stuff on the White Album um, that I think feels like... I think also because there's like there's, there's so many facets to that double album that there's mm. so many bits of it that you can take away. There's like a whole school of sort of sensitive American singer-songwriters. And I think of people like Elliot Smith, um, Amy Mann, that yeah. kind of carry the torch of bits of the White Album. Yes, yeah, I mm. agree. And at the same time, Revolution Number no. 9 puts the Beatles in the kind of avant-garde, sonic collage, experimental mm. thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, th- that's one of the reasons why I feel like the White Album is the one that I've been... I keep on just coming back to again mm. and again and again. And there's bits yeah. of it that are utter shit. As, as, <laughs> there, as there are with all double... There's very yeah. few double albums. I think maybe only... I mean, I think probably Electric Ladyland, but Electric Ladyland is a mm. single is a single CD. I'm, I'm talking about the double albums that are still... Yeah. The, but, I mean, I would say maybe the Outcast Love Below speaker box... But then yeah. I think mm. you could make the case that that's actually two solo albums that yeah, basically that, just yeah. been stuck together. But also the White Album, I think you've got to think of those bits as skits in a way. Yeah, you know, like right. Yeah, hip-hop yeah. albums have skits. I think yeah, yeah, Wild yeah. Honey Pie is a bit throwaway and <laughs> yeah, then there's yeah, the little yeah. voices coming and going. You know. But I quite happily get rid of the skits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is where we kind of... Uh, if Rumor 101 was still a thing, I think... Yeah. Uh, Skits on hip hop records. Oh yeah, really some of them. And one. let me tell you, some of them have not dated well, and some of them no. dated badly. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Marshall Mathers. Some of them dated yeah. badly as they were happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like some of the skits on some of the Eminem records. You're like, I mean, this is just home of fun. This is like, yeah. fucking, this is like 1970s Bernard Manning routine. I know. Yeah. Um, doggy style though. That's got some great skits. Doggy <laughs> skits got some great. Yeah, but you sort of chuckle the first time, and then a little. <laughs> You know, the second time and then by the hundredth time. Very quotable, though. <laughs> yeah. Even like, the one on Blonde where there's, like, a sort of phone message from Frank Ocean's mum about, like, smoking uh, yeah, drugs. Smoking dr- like, yeah, Once you've heard that, you know, 50 times, <laughs> it's kind of done all it's going to do for you. What's it? the Beatles thing on Blonde as well? There's there's a Beatles connection on White Blonde, Ferrari is... Um, White Ferrari is... Uh, here, there, here, there, and everywhere. everywhere yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's kind of turned... He's kind of used the melody of Here, There and Everywhere and kind mm. of changed the the speed of it all and mm. made a kind of different song out of it, which is, the, which is yeah. great. Yeah. It's quite a good, like, hands up because that would have cost him a lot of money and he probably could have got away with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It, you, I, I guess the fact that you that, that's where you get into the realm of homage because mm. if you immediately come out of the gate copping to it... Yeah. 
you know that's um i think that that's i think that that's fine that's how much but i mean if we start getting into that terrain noel gallagher has no money yeah, like, yeah. Noel Gallagher is bankrupt if we go too far yeah. into it. He even started ripping off the ruttles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you see that thing that happened the other week? Because, you know, Olivia Rodrigo, um, she's like a bunch of people said, you know, there was an article saying, oh, she's ripped off this person, that person. Right, yeah, album. yeah. And Elvis Costello replied to the tweet saying, yeah, well, that's just how rock works, doesn't it? Yeah, I <laughs> mean... Really oh, good. yeah, because there's a bit of, like, pump it up, which is, like, sort yeah. of heavily alluded to in one of her songs. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean... Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is kind of... Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Beatles... but I mean, they were also <laughs> sort of signing their crime, as it were. Because yeah. if you look at the, the stuff that they cover... Uh, you know, especially with the early albums, where you've got the covers sat side by side with the originals... Mm. You know, you can. They're very much showing they're working. You know, they're yeah, covering yeah. Chuck Berry. They're covering. You know, there's Little Richard covers, mm. and then they're also covering. Um, they're also covering uh, Mo, uh, Motown songs. You yeah, know, there's. Um, they do a. Uh, you really got a hold on me. The Smokey mm. Robinson song, uh, and they yeah. do like. And so they're really like signposting. <laughs> Mm. This is the stuff that we are listening to, yeah. and what yeah. the original songs you were hearing is like. What happens if kids from Liverpool get saturated in early rock and roll and R and B and bits of rockabilly, and then also start incorporating Motown and the like, the harmonies that are lots of, that are in lots of those early Motown songs? Mm. It, it, it's they were very much sort of signposting how they were how their thinking was working yeah, yeah. um mm. and then it becomes more opaque as the covers sort of disappear you know there's no dylan cover the there's there's not a ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dylan cover on those early Beatles albums, but mm. you can definitely hear, if you listen to everything chronologically, you're like, and they just got a Bob Dylan album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, around Beatles for sale, you go, and there it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's weird that they sort of stopped covering people at that time. Quite lucky that really, because yeah, yeah. No one wants to hear the Beatles do "Blowing in the Wind" on their <laughs> oh, so In the folk scene, was thought, well, I suppose this is happening a little bit later. But I was, I've just been listening to actually the Richard Thompson yeah. autobiography, Beeswing, and he he talks a lot about how they were just desperate to get new Dylan songs to cover. 
And yeah. it was like there was a, they were trying to find the most obscure Dylan song they could cover. And the Beatles, because they were a bit, bef- obviously, a few years before that, and by the obviously writing their own songs, they didn't have that kind of yeah yeah relationship mm. with Dylan. It was more of a kind of, yeah, uh, appeared in their own songs, as it were. Yeah. 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 I suppose they wouldn't have offered much more to the the songs in a way that, like, Hendrix... Obviously, you think of all around the Watchtower, but he did mm. load of amazing Dylan yeah. covers. Like, well, the birds that, as please well, uh, crawl yeah. out your window is so. Yeah, his "Can You Please Hendrix Crawl Out Your Window" is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, he, mm. there's a few people that I feel like I really feel Hendrix particularly, and Nina Simone. I think who mm. there's a couple of her versions of Dylan songs, sort of get under the skin of the songs in ways that nobody else does because Hendrix mm. did All on the Watchtower Drifters Escape which is also on John Wesley Harding and mm. then Can You Please Call Out Your Window which was just a single that he put out in the mid 60s mm. and he seems to just have an understanding of how how those songs work Hendrix mm. also the Drifters Escape I think is on the BBC sessions where Hendrix also does an absolutely hell-raising day tripper like oh, it's, yeah, 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 it's like it's properly. I mean, it's 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 taking what that song is signposting musically yeah, and yeah. updating it. However, many five or three or four years into where guitar music had got to, mm, but mm. you know, the riff for Day Tripper is a sort of you know is a classic blues rock thing. Yeah, and yeah. Mm. what he what Hendrix then does is go, this is what we're doing with that style of music now, mm. and just yeah. absolutely tears into it. The solo in that cover of Day Tripper is incredible. Got a good reason for taking the easy way out. He plays a bit of um, I Want to Tell You is in there as well, yeah. but they don't play the whole thing annoyingly. Yeah, he yeah. just plays a bit of I Want to Tell You, the riff yeah. of it in there. Uh, he, and then he does uh, Sunshine of Your Love, doesn't he? And he cuts into... Uh, yeah, that's the Lulu Show performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where mm. he does a little bit of... Yeah. You know, it, between the riffs. It's very yeah. very clever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I've got the good, Hendrix. Good, we used to have right. the Hendrix BBC sessions. And am I right in thinking it's like Alan Freeman is on introducing them? Yeah, there's and loads like you, of bits of, yeah. I like the idea that he was just on the tape and they couldn't get rid of fluff. <laughs> <laughs> great. There's also a really amazing uh, Radio 1 jingle, which is such yeah. a missed opportunity mm. that Radio 1 never used it. Radio right. 1, right. you stole my girl, but I love you just the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So what was were you a sort of Britpop man then growing up, Nish? Or were you slightly young for Britpop? Did you get the second wave of the Beatles? The first albums that I bought were The Great Escape, The Blur, Great Escape, and What's the Story, Morning Glory. Um, and, I, you know, I quite liked that stuff. I, I never wholeheartedly embraced it in a way. Maybe I was a little bit young. I was probably about... nine or ten when a lot of that stuff was happening so maybe I was a little bit young for that I was very into the Fugees and Lauren Mm -hmm. Hill and definitely the more I think about it the Miseducation of Lauren Hill was the first time I heard an album that was designed to be an album and or or the first time I was conscious that I was listening to something that somebody hadn't just mashed 
hadn't just written 10 songs and then just jammed it all together it you know it was there was a beginning a middle and an end and the skits which is probably not the right word for those were actually sort of there was like some plot and theme and tone that was being drawn Mm. out um and so then but then yes then i go down this kind of 1960s and 70s rabbit hole and start listening to you know what's going on and all the early 70s Stevie Wonder albums mm. where he's the Motown have kind of lost control of him and Marvin Gaye um yeah a lot of like Nina Simone stuff and then lots of kind of 60s blues rock sort of Hendrix offshoots and then just yeah that was when that, that was when the kind of deep study of the Beatles began for me mm. and you know I was I was all over Revolver um I, I really liked Dylan, and so I think that's part of the reason why I didn't take to Beatles for Sale as much, because as a big Dylan fan, Beatles for Sale, lots of it felt like somebody doing a sort of pastiche. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, can be a bit Dylan. Dylan-like. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but I mean, the moments where, there are moments where, I mean, on Help, like, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, definitely mm. feels like a really successful version of, the Beatles kind of doing Dylan in inverted commas. And I, yeah. there's, there's lots of that that I absolutely love. Um, but yes, then I, you know, then I would have seen A Hard Day's Night and, and then, yeah, and you know, the, the mythology runs deep. If you want to, if you really want to get into it and you really want to start reading about why people thought Paul McCartney was dead, if you really <laughs> want to start like reading about the, the run on the second side of Abbey Road and the kind of conception of all of that stuff, you, you really can go for it. I mean, the, the second yeah. half of Abbey Road is, is just absolutely incredible. The, the, yeah. the transition from uh, politics... The, the thing that I often play to people to go, you sh- there's much more to the Beatles than you know, is the run from Polythene Pam into She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. Mm. Because like mm. the, bi- the build-up of that, where the kind of drums are sort of kicking in really hard. Yeah. And he shouts, oh, look out! And then it just drops straight <laughs> into she came into the bathroom window. It's yeah. just still incredible and still Amazing. exciting. And yeah. the other thing I always do is play Her Majesty because that is, to me, the quintessential Beatle. What made the Beatles specifically, I think what keeps them engaged is that there is a kind of sense of humour and a sense mm. of mischief and a sense of fun. So that even when they've kind of, um, you know, composed this thing that has this kind of arcing structure and all of these songs run into each other, and then they do the end, which is a curtain call for the entire band. You know, yeah. the three guitarists play a guitar solo, Ringo plays a drum solo, and then they have this like line that they think sums up the entire philosophy of the Beatles. And in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take. And, and you know, they've drawn a line under it. And then... They have to just, there's just like this weird 20 second song about wanting to fuck the queen. (laughs) And and it's like, you know, it's like somebody just like deliberately just smearing, like just like throwing a weird, you know, it's like you paint a masterpiece. And then yeah. just for no reason, you just draw small cock and balls in the corner. <laughs> like, and it, that for me is what is fun about the Beatles is that they, there's a sense of play yeah. that runs through mm. all of their work. And that sense of play and that sense of fun and that sense of mischief is the thing that I find often gets drowned out in the way that the Beatles are written about and spoken yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess, yeah, they're so they're never really earnest. And yeah. that moment is one where you think, 
hmm, this is a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, out, and then, yeah, it's the perfect little wink at, yeah. as a coder at the end. Of it. Isn't it great the way it just ends so quickly? Ding, bang, yeah, bang, you know, yeah. with the and needle lifting. That's the other thing is like, it, they don't, it just, that song doesn't even finish properly. Yeah, yeah. But then it's a, it's, it's sort of a callback to the way I Want You, She's So Heavy it ends. Yeah, there, yeah. Because that just ends with the needle lifting up and... That's such a great ending for that song, and yeah, I don't know. It's weird that Abbey Road for such a polished is such a polished album, and it both sides end in that sudden way. Yeah, that's it's really right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think this. I think something about that the sort of um, the slight the the need to constantly move away from it being a completely polished, yeah, finished. Because well, they, I think that might feel quite sterile, like in yeah. a way that it could feel quite sterile, like mm. Abbey Road, because it's so, you know, there's so much care and attention yeah. in that, that run. We've talked a lot with um, people on this podcast about their journey with sort of favourite Beatles. But uh, did you go through phases of uh, identifying with a particular member of the band? Well, I think when you're sort of 15, 16 year old boy, the Lennon stuff is the stuff that really, you know, it like it really resonates with you. But obviously one of the things that I always felt was that I felt very protective of Paul McCartney, which is a very funny thing to feel protective of a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. But I always felt very protective of Paul McCartney because obviously he sort of talked about like he was, you know, like right, basically like he was writing like advert jingles. Mm. Um, yeah. But actually, you know, he was the one, he was the one living in London. He was the one hanging out mm. with, or, you know, he was the one doing the, the tape loops on Tomorrow Never Knows, the rewound yeah. guitars. That's all him because yeah. he was living in St. John's Wood and, you know, rubbing shoulders with, the sort of mad avant-garde artist. Well, that, that's the funny thing about anthology, isn't it? And Carnival of Light, you know, you know yeah. that story where he was desperate for Carnival of Light to be put on anthology mm, because it yeah. would like prove that he was the one who did the kind of big avant-garde thing first before Revolution Number Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You know, just, so yeah, it's true. It, I mean, it, yeah, and I mean, it is sort of. <laughs> I I do will always find it funny when. Paul McCartney is asked to name his favourite songs and he yeah. will include a Beatles song. That, to me, is more <laughs> like, yeah. It will always make me laugh. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely went through a phase of... I, I remember really feeling connected to George because he loved India. And I was like, respect. Mm. Love that. <laughs> you know, love that. And also, like, George Harrison, you know, there's all, often these conversations about cultural appropriation. Right, now, you know, yeah. these contemporary conversations about cultural yeah. appropriation. But the thing about George Harrison particularly is that you know, he he did it. He went and mm. studied with Ravi Shankar and he, you know, he he really lived that life and really absorbed and learned and was a diligent student yeah. of Indian classical music. And yeah. And what did your parents, I mean, you said you talked about growing up listening to Bollywood records. Did, you, did your parents, what did they make of that kind of Indian crossover? In the, they, in the thought, Beatles music? they thought it was absolutely cool. Right, they loved right. it. They loved mm. the idea that George Harrison. They they were always like George is the best one because he loves India, <laughs> and they loved it. They absolutely loved the idea yeah. that they had gone. You know that they that he had like. I think particularly because like obviously Ravi Shankar is like it, it, you know such a significant cultural figure in India. Yeah, yeah. The fact that he you know had personally taught George how to play the sitar, like all that stuff. They 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 sort of they thought it was very exciting. Yeah. Um, 
And I think definitely with Harrison, once you start playing the guitar and you start, you know, George Harrison is an, is an, is an exceptional guitar player mm. and is quite a sort of, it's quite a sort of unheralded part of the kind of Beatles work is a lot of the skilled instrumentation. You know, McCartney yeah. is an excellent guitar player. Mm. Um, and, you know, Lennon's guitar playing on Get Back is brilliant. Yeah. Um, mm. But I always think of, um, I always think about um, the guitar solo on Let It Be because I yeah. think that that is mm. a really beautiful piece of music yeah. and it's a really beautiful composition and it doesn't, it, there's not a lot of, um, he's not like a flare player, you know, he's not yeah. doing, he's not bending the notes or doing like these like crazy fast playing solos, but he has an incredible sense of a melodic guitar solo. Yeah. And what I think as well, like. um, Free as a Bird, solo on yeah, Free yeah. as a Bird. Yeah, yeah, love really that. Good. Yeah, it's really it's good. So, it's just so precise and as you say, yeah. very melodic and just, yeah, it's, it's His great. slide playing in particular yeah. in the sort of, because he only really started playing slide at, like very end of the sort of sixties, and then by nineteen seventy two, he's incredible, like yeah, Rikuda right. yeah, standard yeah. slide player, mm. and especially stuff where that his his intonation while playing slide, yeah. and especially double tracking over himself is yeah up there with the best ever yeah. put on record. Yeah, it's amazing. unbelievable. It's amazing. And also, you know, lots of all, all things must pass is an amazing, it's an incredible mm. album. Yeah. And, you know, I think you could reasonably make the case that what is what is life is mm. the best Beatles solo song. I, I mm. think it's an I think it's an extraordinary song. Mm. Um, and even the way that the two guitar parts sort of interlock in that song is so brilliant and so yeah. So smart, but the sort of euphoric rush of that song is so yeah wonderful, and the horn parts and that yeah. is that's a real that that would be my. I, I always think favorite. what his life is about to go into one fine day. Yeah, yeah, do you, yeah. Do you have that song? <laughs> yeah. I think that was at the back of it, his mind, maybe. You know? Oh, it definitely has du, like du, a sort du, of du, 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 du. you know, it almost because mm. even the production has yeah. the kind of almost like Phil Spectory sort of yeah, yeah, definitely feel yeah. to it, like a, a kind of. Um, a sort of wall of sound vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I always think with it with the Indian stuff with the Beatles, like A, as you say, it was so George Harrison really meant it. Yeah. He got so immersed in it. And also the way it sounds in Beatles record like in Revolver, I just love how you know, uh, at the end of I'm Only Sleeping, there's that little yeah. bit burst of it. It's almost like a yeah, hint yeah. of what's to come. And it's and you know, and then in Sergeant Pepper, the way that Eastern instruments, for want of a better word, and Western instruments kind of talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. Though the beautiful arrangements of the kind of cellos dipping and diving. Yeah. Uh, and it's so, so well done. And I think well, there is an argument about cultural appropriation, but I, I think it's more to do with a band, I mean, much as I love them, like a band like Incredible String Band. Right, where yeah, they wrote yeah. these great songs and then just chuck a sitar on it. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just like, mm. it's date, it sounds, makes it sound so dated now. I yeah, think. yeah. I yeah. mean, much as I absolutely love that band and their fantastic songs, but that I think that's where it's just a bit like plonk a bit of 
yeah, yeah. Indian music on to give it a spirituality. Thing, yeah. you know? Don't go and uh, listen to Cooler Shaker. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Cooler Shaker is the one that I always think about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I often think like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones to uh, to an extent dodge a lot of al- accusation about cultural appropriation because uh, I mean, especially in the case of the Stones, they they you know they when they got to America they couldn't believe that Muddy Waters wasn't the most famous man in America, yeah, you know? Yeah, so yeah. they had all those guys mm. open for them, you know? And even when they made the, the, when Scorsese made the documentary about 10, 12 years ago, you know, one of the guests they bring out is Buddy Guy. Mm. And, you know, they, they, I, I think that the Beatles and the Stones particularly were very good at acknowledging the, you know, were good at acknowledging the roots that they came from. And, you know, they yeah. took so much from black American music. Mm. And it's to their credit that they then, having recognised that, you know, there's this thing in the Ron Howard documentary where they sort of refuse to play segregated rooms. Mm. Mm. And, you know, that is, you know, that is an example of them correctly, not only observing, you know, a, a basic human right and observing a principle of racial justice but also correctly acknowledging that without african-american music there is no beatles and you know mm. the john lennon's john lennon learned to sing literally just copying little richard you know that mm. you know that those that uh, but those were bands that really did sort of acknowledge their roots and didn't try and distance themselves from black culture when they were presented with the opportunity to do so yeah yeah yeah, uh, the Ron. I really, I, I like the Ron Howard documentary. I do as well. As well. Like, yeah, I thought, I like, I, I think that that stuff of them, like being a touring band, is, is really interesting. And you know, like yeah. l- learning their trade in Hamburg and that sort of era is very interesting. Because particularly when I was a kid, for me, what what I was drawn to was the kind of revolver. It, you know, that feels like the sort of music nerd period mm. of the Beatles mm. to get into and it yeah, feels like yeah. that is the period you know that's the period of deep study what were they doing when they did Revolver the you know the uh, yeah, the build up of Sgt Peppers and the kind of concept yeah. behind it well I think the Ron Howard film does a good job at just showing how like totally unprecedented it was kind of yeah, socially right. culturally it's like li- mm. literally do not know how to manage that many people yeah. you know and so like yeah. that's kind of and you know five, five or ten years later they could and they could have put on much bigger concerts that made sense, you know, but in the history of, you know, in, in the history of uh, public address systems, it's yeah. very... <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they were like, yeah. they were, yeah. I mean, it, they were basically playing their instruments into a loudspeaker. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. At, at football, at, you know, like, baseball stadiums. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love that one mm. as well, the, where, like, Ringo's drum kit's facing the wrong way. So when they come on stage, <laughs> they have to turn it around. That's so good. And Ringo's absolutely hammering it. At that yeah, kick. right, yeah. I don't know, yeah. like, what he's on, he's just... Maybe this, probably can't hear himself. But well, that's just the thing. Like, I think he's just trying to establish any sort yeah. of like beat, isn't he? But it's he looks like, like he's playing in minor threat or something. He's just yeah, <laughs> but even but even the it. vocals of that, it's you know like it sounds like a fucking Iggy Pop record. Of course. Yeah, the yeah. live mm. the live performances, and you're like yeah. because they're sort of like screaming. You know, I think they were like literally trying to shout to the audience, mm. and so it does create this like really weird weirdly punky sounding yeah. performances except they're all perfectly in tune which yeah, is exactly. do not understand it just looks absolutely awful going to one of those gigs <laughs> yeah, it does. they it play does for look, 20 minutes so you can't hear anything it sounds like shit 
and it's just, you know, looks like an absolute nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose I don't really... I I like the first half an hour of that documentary a lot, but I guess, like, yeah, I I completely empathise with them being like, enough's enough. Yeah, right. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's always worth the rate of the speed of change. Mm, You know, the speed from which they're like, they go from... I want to hold your hand mm. to turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. That's, yeah. that's like, that's what, three, four years. It's dizzying, isn't yeah. it? And I think, I think yeah. we're so used to that kind of, it's very much a sort of thing that gets tweeted around now. Like someone said the other day, we're now further away from the blurs universal video than the universal was away from clockwork orange or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that we're so used to kind of things like that. And, and it's sort of like, the Beatles kind of embody that weird, you know, whatever happened to time in the 60s. It's just yeah. something mm. weird happened to time. I think we can all agree something yeah. weird happened to time in terms of how f- accelerated culture was moving. It does, yeah, it does, like, I mean, the, a lot of those those people, you know, the sort of um, the Dylans, the Hendrixes, I mean, Hendrix is such a like, absurdly short period of time because the whole mm. recording career is basically... Is barely four years. Yeah, um, yeah. And the you know the whole period of time is. But you know even like some of those Motown artists. Like if mm. you listen to, like a Marvin Gaye best of, is that is a journey, man. Yeah, yeah. that is a that is a journey from like he's like from like he looks like Nat King Cole. Like yeah. in some of the like mm. early stuff, and he's like sort of smooth crooning, and and even like the more sort of up tempo things. Like I'm just a stubborn kind of fellow, yeah. and then just mm. suddenly disc two. Yeah. He's like stoned hippie, and they're yeah. just writing the most like perverse liner notes. Like, and yeah, and like perverse liner notes, and they're just like, let's get on. He's, you know, he's just like he's gone from like you know, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to yeah. being like, let's have sex right now. Yeah. <laughs> let's just have sex and yeah. just fully have. Se- and but to be clear. Only if you're into it. I will require your consent. Like, that's the great thing about Let's Get It On. Let's Get It On, as a song, absolutely survives the Me Too era. Because Let's Get It On, (laughs) the whole premise of Let's Get It On is, let's absolutely fuck as long as you're cool with it. And if you're not, let's not. (laughs) There's a great bit, I can't remember, I think it's in a Nicholson Baker book, where he says the first... Uh, kind of moan of let's get it on is like eight notes or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good because it just goes. <laughs> it's so it's great. It's so what an instrument. I tell, God, yeah. I, I can't remember if I told this story before, but my mum was my mum is really into soul music, and one Christmas I got her a Marvin Gaye CD. And you can guess which one it was. It's like, yeah. oh, I got, not knowing what it was, I got Let's Get It On. Um, the liner notes really made for interesting yeah. reading on Christmas Day morning. Oh, my God. I'm actually blushing thinking about that. <laughs> but that's, what, that's yeah. why in some ways, I mean, I don't think that they, you could possibly say that they, that it holds up as well as some of the later albums. But in some ways like help is sort of one of the most interesting Beatles albums or yeah. just that middle mm. period, like help mm. rubber soul where you're catching them right in the middle. Yeah. And the sort of variety of songs, you know, even the, the song help is such an interesting encapsulation mm. of, of them kind of half in transition because yeah. Yeah. The, the actual melody and construction is very much, you know, it sounds like 
the songs that they were writing at the time. Mm. But the lyrics are about Lennon sort of in an existential tailspin. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's re- it's those kind of moments are really fascinating when you yeah. catch, when you see somebody, when you catch the Beatles kind of on the hoof, like it, it, it mid-transformation. Yeah. yeah. That was a great point. It might have been Joel Morris, so the comedy writer, said about the word by the Beatles is such a great song because it's the first time they use the word love kind of yeah. conceptually. Rather yeah, than, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah which is such a good point. That's such an interesting thing, yeah, because it yeah. isn't, yeah. yeah. It wasn't she loves you or, you know, <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's why I think, like, it, it, for an album that at the time, not at the time, when I at the time I was listening to a lot of the album, something like Help was something I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. But now, obviously, once you have more of a sense of the shape of the career, it is really interesting to like, sort of catch them. In in mid, it kind of in mid step. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. There's so much of that great stuff in the um, first anthologies as well, where you're, it's sort of go. It's it basically in chronological order, but then there's one leap where you're like, oh my god, like yeah, yeah. what happened here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you're just suddenly like, you know, whatever it is, they're just trying one extra thing, and it's like. Mm. Ah, leave everyone else in the in the dust. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Even the much maligned by me album Beatles for Sale. Yeah, having an al- an album now that you sort of now when you listen to it, you, you you understand where it exists in that particular point in the cycle. Mm. Uh, it, 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 an album that has eight days a week and mm. I'm a loser on it. Yeah, is a that is a really interesting thing. Like you you, you mm. know it's. Well, we're big fans of uh, Beatles for Sale. I think we talked about in, it with relatively yeah. not Matthew Crosby. But... I think and about I, we. I think we were talking about how it just sounds great because it sounds re- sounds kind of really spontaneous. It does tail off a bit at the end, yeah. but the covers mm. are brilliant, and I particularly love the Buddy Holly cover. Oh it's yeah, that's really a really beautiful. good cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's yeah. great. Um, but it's interesting, kind of catching well. them, you know, catching them on the half step. Yes, yeah, definitely. There's definitely this sense that Lennon, and you know, when you listen to the Rubber Soul outtakes and they're so stoned and being hilarious and everything, yeah. and that's not quite there in the music yet, but then it's yeah. coming through, and, mm. and then by the time you get to Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour, it's fully there, kind of, that crossover's happened, you know. Yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. It's, but that's a, it's a lovely period. The thing that I think is so odd is Eleanor Rigby. I still mm. don't think, I, I I don't think even with people who talk constantly about the Beatles talk enough about how fucking weird Eleanor Rigby is. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's, like, that... it's this really bleak story about a s- sad person who just dies and their <laughs> life means nothing. And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's kind of thrilling, and the fact that it's just like backed by a string, like a sort of string yeah. quartet, and you know, even the rhythms, like George Martin was trying to bring, there's like Eastern rhythms in the way the rhythmic arrangement of Eleanor Rigby, mm. and the whole thing sounds so strange. Wiping his hands as he walks from the grave, no yeah. one was saved. It's yeah. like that's fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you think about as well the fact that that was the single, that would have been the biggest, yeah, you know, as a single. 
that was the must the biggest departure in their whole career, isn't it? I, I remember you know used to listen to classic gold on the way to school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the oldie stations and the DJ playing Eleanor Rigby and said, "God, we." Really thought they'd gone mad when they released that one, <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird because it's it's not um, you know it's not Strawberry Fields or, or Penny Lane or Sergeant. Pa- it's like Eleanor Rigby is the first one where it's like that's yeah that's huge I think you're, I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right, and I mean yeah. Stra- Strawberry Fields is still sounds strange and still hmm. sounds incredible, yeah. and m- one of my favourite things about the and part of the thing that I, I I talked a lot about when Jeff Lloyd asked me about the anthology. One of the biggest things I talked about was the the outtakes of Strawberry Fields mm. and hearing that come together. And then I don't know whether you guys... Oh, of course you guys have got this, but I don't know why I assumed you wouldn't have got <laughs> But the Love album, the weird Cirque du Soleil tie-in yeah, album. I quite mm. like it. I, lo- yeah. I, I <laughs> love it. it. Like, yeah. I really, really yeah, yeah. love it. And one of the things that I love is that they do... They take the horns from... Savoy Truffle, I think, mm. and put them on Drive My Car and turn yeah. Drive My Car into what it is, which is a Motown plastic. Well, the Eleanor Rigby section is amazing. So. Yeah, but and I also think that um, the what they do with Strawberry Fields, where they they edit together the kind of three outtakes. So you start with Lennon playing solo guitar, yes. and then you have this first phase of the studio recording, and then it builds into the final version. I mm. think is genuinely extraordinary. Mm. I think it's absolutely mm. brilliant, and it really gets it really gives you a, takes you on a set of the journey of that song yeah that ends up with you know because the sort of sonic collage that's going on in strawberry fields is absolutely incredible but there's another I, I, oh yeah it's got the bit from piggies yeah yeah from piggies yeah and it works really well yeah, yeah. i love it's that. really I good learned, I, yeah, yeah. That. I think i've blocked that out of my mind <laughs> i like love i thought it's great <laughs> i like love i hate piggies <laughs> Oh yeah, fucking piggies, man! <laughs> <laughs> fucking piggies. God bless anyone who enjoys that song, but I, I cannot get on board with it. Tell you what I like yeah. about piggies is that weird string bit at the end. Yeah, it's great. It's quite frightening. not not for me, thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. a note for me. But yeah, I love the I love the fact that they compress it because you sort of. You, you, by the time you hear Strawberry Fields, there's so much going on. You know, like the mm. cello part in Strawberry Fields is mm. unreal. And then you've got the sort of Mellotron. And then it, it's all sort of built up into this crazy thing. And it, it's, it, it's it's so great to hear mm. how it builds up. And yeah. how they start from the germ of the song. And then, it you know, by the end it becomes this kind of like... You know, I get, it's trying to chart his... Whatever, he's like, he's mm. taken acid and he's dropped back through a hole into his childhood. Mm. Yeah. So I love that you can hear the frustration in those demos as well. And yeah. Trying to mm. sort of work it out. And there's that bit where you can, he's getting really angry with himself and then he tries like changing the sort of strum patterns yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's a very good uh, for anyone like me who uh, tends to like rip up 90% of what they write songwriting wise <laughs> immediately. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, worth yeah. persevering with a, with a sort of yeah. a, a mediocre idea. <laughs> I also really love, I love the A Day in the Life outtakes for the same thing. Like the yeah. same principle mm. where they're like, he's talking about where, he wants the mic in the piano 
Yeah. And they're talking about that specific sound. And then he, I think he says something like, Sugar Plum Fairy, Sugar oh, yeah, Plum yeah. Fairy. And that's, he's trying to give them like the sense of what the rhythm yeah. of the song is going to yeah. be. I loved um, them try, try, when they didn't know how to end day in their life and just tried humming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They just imagine them looking at each other and go. No, no, I don't think no. that's it. I don't <laughs> think that's it. <laughs> yeah, going to go a different direction. Yeah. That's great. So that was Nish Kumar uh, with a fabulous personal Beatles. Yes, indeed. I really enjoyed that chat. I uh, love the chat about Revolver. Um, mm. And I think... I, I, I was, I'm really kind of fascinated with the... Um, you know the American release of Revolver, which we've mentioned a few times. You know, it doesn't have "I'm Only Sleeping" on it. Yeah, like I mean, what a it, bizarre track to. We, yeah, we talked in the Patreon episode about how fixing a hole is kind of the signature song for Sergeant Pepper. I always think "I'm mm. Only Sleeping" is the kind of signature song of Revolver. It seems to sum up the mood of it somehow, or the feel somehow. Yeah, I don't know why. And it definitely you couldn't exist on any other album exactly and it's such yeah. a progression from the you know the guitar led ones of rubber soul but yeah. I, I mean i do like that, that 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 point i made about i'm only sleeping ends with a backwards guitar and it does seem to kind of preempt the kind of indian influence of, mm, uh, yeah for sure love you too and everything but yeah it was a very good chat yeah i've never mentioned it on the podcast before but my problem with that song is when i first Heard it. You I heard the Vines it, cover. The, no, the Suggs <laughs> version <laughs> from uh, the early nineties. Yeah, so, yeah. Big Beatles fan. Yeah, um, <laughs> I had that on CD for some reason. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was great. If you listen to the normal version, there's an extended version of that. Uh, Not on of the I'm Patreon. only sleeping. Not of uh, <laughs> Suggs's version of <laughs> I'm only sleeping. No one wants that. Um, but of uh, more with Nish, so you can go yep. to patreon.com forward slash uh, your own personal uh, forward slash personal Beatles um, and join some of the lovely people that joined uh, the Patreon this week, who including legends like Jake Brown, Jimmy D, Ted Tooley, uh, Benedict Cordy, Emily Greenaway, just Tom, uh, Christy Tom from MySpace. As Tom, and he didn't give another name, uh, yeah. fair enough. Actually, we've got a lot of Toms, a lot mm. of Toms, and quite a few Charlies and Charleses. Nice. Uh, so we've got Charles uh, Olney and Charlie, uh, Charlie L. Wes. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. But yeah, you, they've all joined in the last week. Why don't you do it too? If you want. Um, if you want. Don't, if you don't want, or if you can't <laughs> afford it, we understand. Um, you know, but it's, it's a bit of fun. <laughs> 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 so we'll be back next week with uh, Matthew Crosby yes. uh, from Pappies and the Radio. Yeah. Um, with a brilliant chat um, that's quite heavy on things like uh, Yellow Submarine, the film, yeah. which is relatively uh, unmined territory for us. Mm. And uh, we talk a lot about Beatles for Sale. Yeah, this was the big kind of defense of Beatles for Sale one where mm. I kind of, before we recorded it, I had a big, big listening splurge where I'd listened to it a lot and kind of really reconnected with it. So it was a really fun one to record. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if you're a Patreon subscriber, you get a little treat of me attempting to uh, sing the opening phrase from Mr. Moonlight. Oh, yeah. And that we'll was see, belting. see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> you stood um, so far away from the mic, anyway. Yeah, well, you good. have to do it very loud. Mm. <laughs> it's a top B flat. Probably John Lennon's only B flat, I'd wager. Really? Yeah, might well be. It's what I mean... Did he do a B? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. He d- he's not usually in that kind of range. I see what you mean. Um, B flat. What? That's good. It's good. High tenor B flat. What's Paul's Paul's highest note? Oh, right up there. Probably high. Maybe high C's, high D's. Really. I think I've the got... highest Paul one I know is it maybe in maybe I'm amazed. I think there's a high D in there. Oh yeah. Not that yeah. bit. It's the maybe I'm amazed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one that's in the middle or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, all that to look forward to and more and more. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Your own personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.